All right. Super, super, super. All right, good pictures. That's all right. I just love, uh, I, I love diversity uh, because I think it just shows me more of the glory of Jesus uh, just all over this world. Isn't it amazing? You think of all the races, culture, language, and places. These people, it's hard for me to pronounce them, but it's Ping, P-I-N-G-D-I, Pingdi. And beautiful lady there in their unique dress. They're located in China, so never been reached with the gospel. About one and a half million they are part of the greater cluster of people groups called the Yayo, and almost all of them are farmers engaged in rice cultivation. They are in an area that's rarely ever visited by outsiders. So that's why it's been so hard to get the gospel there. Nobody wants to go to this remote. If you're looking at a map of China, they all live in the same area. It's in southeast China, uh, and no one hardly ever goes to that area. As a result, they have minimal interaction with people who could share the gospel. In the ancient past, they actually have a legend. They have a legend in their history of a, quote, creator God, and this is from their own writings. Ages ago, before we crossed the sea, we worshipped someone called Tenze, who lives in heaven, and he is a holy, holy God. That is from their own writings. Those who try to share the gospel with them, like Paul, should learn that you should always start with a person's culture and their own beliefs, just like he did in Athens. There are a few believers in this huge group. They are regarded as strange by their families, friends, and neighbors. They need to overcome obstacles by supernaturally transformed into loving gospel. Pray that believers from other parts of China will bring them the good news and that they would respond by producing their own Bible, their own Jesus film, their own radio broadcast in their own language. Pray for a Book of Acts movement to Christ among the Ping Di people. I love that quote. Zechariah 8, 20, 21 says, It will yet be that people will come, even the inhabitants of many diverse cities, and the inhabitants of one will go to another and say, Let us go at once and entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord, the God of angel armies. I will go. Zechariah 8, 20, and 21. Isn't that beautiful? They don't have many resources, but God has many. Amen? So let's pray for them. Anybody want to pray for the Ping D people? One and a half million in China. Yeah, greater and holy. Hallelujah. Thank you for the fact that you will. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Your grace overall. Hallelujah.
Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So that is the, we're going to do something really fun today. Uh, I just want to give you that definition again. Consider Jesus. Isn't that a great passage? So I just want to, to give you that definition again to think carefully about something, typically before making a decision, uh, to think about something and be drawn toward a course of action or to regard someone as having a very special quality. So what we're going to do, well, I showed you those two commands. I've already read the passage uh, from Hebrews. Uh, it's pretty worthwhile to read it even again, isn't it? So just hearing that read twice, I'll actually read again the two uses in Hebrews of consider Jesus. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily tangles us up and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Jesus, who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Amen? Consider Jesus. And even as Andreas and others talk about being tempted, what a great passage in Hebrews 2 about people who are tempted because you and I are tempted. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus himself also partook of flesh and blood, so through his death he could render powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he would be able to deliver people who through fear of death had been subject to this slavery all their lives. For surely he did not come to give his help to angels, but he gives his help to people, descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like them in every respect, so he could be the merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to be the sacrifice for the sins of his people. Because he himself was tempted, Jesus was tempted, and everything he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, amen, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So how are we going to do this in a really unique way? So if you have your Bible, the way that we're going to consider Jesus today is the book of Psalms. So we're going to look at Psalms 22, 23, 24, and 25. One thing you'll notice when you begin to really see Jesus, you'll see that the Bible has such spectacular pictures of Jesus. Did you know that Psalm 22, 23, 24, and 25 are all about Jesus? Did you know that? 22 is about the cross of Jesus. 23 is about the good shepherd Jesus. 24 is about the king of kings Jesus. 25 is about the savior Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So you got four right there in a row. Consider Jesus. Psalm 22 is about the cross of Jesus. Psalm 23 is about the good shepherd Jesus. Psalm 24, the song Joel sang, actually has a quote straight from that psalm. And it's about the King of Kings, Jesus. And 25 is especially about the Savior, Jesus. So what I want us to do is to consider Jesus looking at Psalm 22, 23, 24, and 25. So if you have a Bible, you can open and you can just start at 22 and move right along. So we're going to talk about Psalm 22. We're going to just do, we're just skimming over the surface. We're not going to be able to go really deep. But 22 is about the crucifixion cry. 
And if you've ever read that psalm, I love Psalm 22. I preached on it. I think it, I would think one time I took eight weeks and preached on Psalm 22 mm. when I was in South Carolina. So I do want to outline it for you because it's such a beautiful psalm. It starts off with a cry of why. Then he tells them, ponder the past. Then a cry of anguish. Then he says, consider your life. Then a cry of anguish again. Then a cry for help. And then the victory cry. And it's all about considering who? Jesus. So let's start with the cry of why. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry to you by day, but you don't answer me. I cry all night, but I have no rest. That's a cry of why, isn't it? <laughs> In a certain sense, we can't ever quite cry that we can feel that, right? But not cry because God never forsakes us, never leaves us, always loves us, is always with us, is always taking care of us. But David didn't feel like it, did he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance of the words of my groaning, I cry by day, you don't answer me. Oh my God, I cry all night long, I have no answer. There's one person who could cry that in there. Jesus. The fourth word of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was forsaken in the wrath that would have come upon our body and soul in hell forever. The father of love had to put it on his own son who willingly took it. And that cry was true for him. Amen? Consider who? Jesus the psalm is all about the cross. If you ever read this psalm, it's spectacular to ponder. This was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, and yet there are about 15 spectacular references to the cross. Straight out of that. Well, I don't know if you've ever felt like crying. Why? I certainly have. That's why he tells you the next thing to do is ponder the past. When you feel like crying, why, like David, ponder the past. Verse 3, yet you're holy enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, placed their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out, they were delivered. And you they trusted, they were never what? Disappointed. Isn't it good to stop and just remind yourself that God's got a 100% record with all his people through all of history? He's always helped them, always heard them, always delivered them. Is he going to stop with you, Philip? You know, Philip going to be the exception. Wow! <laughs> All of history, God has always cared for and helped and delivered. You see what the logic he's using? He's telling you, when you feel like crying, why ponder the past? Look at God's record. Then he has his first cry of indescribable anguish. I'm a worm. This is Jesus on the cross. I'm not a man. I'm a reproach of men. I'm despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head. They say, commit yourself to the Lord and let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Have you ever read Matthew 27 or the New Testament? The exact same words to detail, even the wagging of the head, the exact scripture they mock Jesus with. Isn't that amazing? So here in Psalm 22, a thousand, a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, the scene of the cross is depicted. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they said. Isn't that remarkable? Consider Jesus. Then he tells them to look at your life when you don't think you can stand it anymore. 
Yet you are the one who brought me forth from my mother's womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast, upon you I was cast from birth. You have always been my God from my mother's womb. Isn't that good to remind yourself? Look at your life when you feel like crying. Why? You don't have to just ponder the past of all of history. Look at your life and just recount what God has done for you. Amen? And then he cries out again. Verse 11, a cry of anguish. Be not far from me. Trouble is near. There's nobody to help. Many, many bulls have surrounded me. Bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me like a ravening, roaring lion. Just like the cross, I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint, which has happened since crucifixion. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot. So my tongue clings to my jaws. You have laid me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. Bands of evildoer have circled me. They've pierced my hands and pierced my feet, but I can count all my bones. They look at me, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Does that sound familiar? A thousand years before the birth. Wow. The cry of the cross, amen? The cross of Jesus. <laughs> then uh, hurry up and help. You ever cry help to God? <laughs> Verse 19, help! <laughs> but you, O oh Lord, be not far. Help! Hurry! To my assistance, deliver my soul from the sword, from the power of the dog. Save me from this lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And know how do I love Psalm 22? Because the last cry is the cry of victory. It's one of the most beautiful paragraphs in the whole Bible. Because this is the victory of the cross. That's what it's all about. I love this paragraph. One of my favorites in all of Scripture. I will tell of your name to the people in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. You descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, you descendants of Israel. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hid his face from him. When he cried to him for help, what? He heard. This is what David's finally saying after he went through all of this. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, you did not your face from me. You heard my cry. From you comes the praise in the great assembly. I will pay my vows of thanks before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Oh, verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Hallelujah. All the families, all the people's races, cultures, languages, including the one we read, the Pengdi or whatever, will worship before you because this is the reason the kingdom belongs to the Lord's and he does rule over all the nations. Is that awesome? Even the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. Those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even the person who can't keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him, and it will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who haven't even been born, that he has performed all of this. The cross of Jesus. Psalm 22. Consider Jesus. What a cross. What a victory. What a glory. Hallelujah. Unbelievable. Read Psalm 22 and consider Jesus. Psalm 23, the good shepherd Jesus. 
He comes, you know, we read John 10. What do we know about the good shepherd? That he what? Laid out his life for the sheep. And if you ever read probably the most important passage in the whole Bible that is the foundation for that is, exact, is actually Ezekiel 34. And since these two verses are just so beautiful, I just wanted to read them out of Ezekiel 34. Talk about a good shepherd. Verse 15, I'm going to feed my flock. I'm going to lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I'm going to seek the lost. I'm going to bring back the scattered. I'm going to bind up the broken and wounded. And I'm going to strengthen the sick. Because I'm a what? Good shepherd. And boy, does he give a warning against the fat sheep who treat the lean ones poorly and against the false shepherds who are ones who uh, are in it for sordid gain and money and lord it over these sheep. What a warning. If you read Ezekiel 34, it will make you pray. But I'm so glad that Jesus is the what? Good shepherd. And when I think of Psalm 23, it's all about who? Jesus. And when you read this psalm, when I want you to know, I don't know if you've noticed this before when you've read it and memorized it or meditated on it, every single phrase in this, shep in this shepherd psalm focuses on the same theme. I don't know if you've ever caught it before. And the theme through the whole psalm is in every line that he is your blesser. He is always blessing you. If you don't believe it, just listen. Listen to each phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my good shepherd. He laid down his life for me. He seeks the lost and goes and gathers the scattered, heals the broken, takes care of his people and leaves them to rest. So what does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. I what? I shall not want. I shall not lack. He's going to always take care of all my needs all the time. Is that good news? He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. He's going to feed me. He leads me beside still waters, blesses me. He does what? Restores, revives, renews, refreshes your soul. What else does he do? He leads me in the narrow road of righteousness for his name's sake. What a shepherd. Is he blessing you? The Lord is my blessing shepherd. I will not lack. The Lord makes me lie down in green shepherds. He's blessing me. The Lord leads me beside still waters. He's blessing me. The Lord revives, refreshes, renews, restores my soul. Blessing me. The Lord leads me in the right path of righteousness. Blessing me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't feel evil because you are with me, always blessing me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me because you're what? Blessing me. You prepare a table of blessing before me, even in the presence of my enemies. Even in the presence of my enemies, you set a table of blessing for me. Right, right. That's what the Lord's Supper is, right, in my enemies. You anoint my head with the oil of what? Blessing. My cup of what overflows? Blessing. <laughs> it overflows. <laughs> I can't look at this cup and say it's nine minutes full. <laughs> you know, some people look at the tent that's empty. Can't with this one because this full load is just gushing over. It's a fountain cup. My cup's running over because you're blessing me, blessing me, blessing me, blessing me. Surely, look at what he says, his conclusion. Surely, without a doubt, absolutely confident that your goodness and your love are going to bless me every single day of my life. Is that amazing? And I will then what? I will live in your house forever and forever and forever. What's he doing? Blessing you. Don't you think it's good to come shut this thing off? To consider Jesus? Just to consider Jesus, isn't it? Consider the cross of Jesus. 
Psalm 22. Consider the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. Read Psalm 23 and believe that every one of those blessings is for your soul, your heart, your life, every day of your life. Psalm 24. Consider Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's on the throne, ruling everything, everywhere, every second for your good in His glory. You know, I'll be flat honest with you. There are times that things make no sense to me. I don't understand what God's doing. There are times that things happen make no sense to me. There are times that things that don't look good. But you know what? I know my Jesus rules my life. I'm so thankful. No one else rules my life, not even my sweetheart. Not other people, not situations. Jesus Christ rules Brian's life 24-7. Every single thing that ever happens to me is under his kingship. And everything he does is always loving me, always loving me. It doesn't matter whether I can understand it. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. I know that the one who was crucified for me rose for me. And the one who rose for me went to the Father's right hand and sits on the throne. And Jesus Christ rules everything, everywhere, every second in this universe for His glory and the good of His people. I am under His rule. Isn't that great to know? Remind yourself, consider Jesus. Remind yourself. My Jesus rules my life. Uh, you, know, I have to, you know, even last night when we got back from the movie and we come to the front door and boom, there's the copperhead as I put my key in the door. You know, but Jesus is in control of everything. He rules my life. He, even when your sister you know, went out in the trash and got bit by one. You know, I can trust Jesus because he's king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. Now, if you read Psalm 24, I want you to read it the right way because it's a great psalm. The first half of it is a big question. Big question. And the second half of it gives the answer, which is really good. Listen to the question in the first half. The earth is the Lord's and everything it contains. The whole world and every single person who dwells in it. Why? Because he created it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Here's a great question. Here are the questions. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? That means into the holiest of holies. You, know, you read that and you go, oh my goodness, how can I go to that place? Who can stand in the holy place? Answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood or lie, who has not sworn deceitfully, will receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. Now, you might read that and be scared, right? Because you then go, well, then how can I go into the holy place? Because I don't feel like my hands are clean. I don't feel like they are pure. Now, listen to the question again. You have to do it. I'm going to answer it before we even get to the answer. The first half of the psalm is the question. The second half is the answer. So the first half, I even wrote it in my margin. I wrote this in every aspect of my margin when I was studying this. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? What do you think I wrote in my margin? Jesus. Who can stand in the holy place? What do you think I wrote? Jesus. Who, who has clean hands? Who do you think I wrote? Jesus. Who has the pure heart? Jesus. Who has not lifted up his heart to falsehood? What do you think I wrote in the margin? Jesus. Who has not ever sworn deceitfully? Who do you think I wrote? Jesus. Who receives the blessing of the Lord? What do you think I wrote? 
You got it, Joel. Jesus. <laughs> righteousness. Whose righteousness? I'll read it right in the margin. Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because this psalm is all about Jesus as the King of Kings. And you want to see the answer? He answers the question in the second half. Listen. Who can ascend to the holy place? Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, so the King of glory may come in. Who's that? It's Jesus after the crucifixion and resurrection ascending to take the throne. Open up the door so the King of glory can come in. Who is the King of glory? What do you think I write in my margin, Joel? Yeah, you got it. Who is the King of glory? Jesus, the Lord strong and mighty. Jesus, the Lord mighty in battle. Jesus, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory, Jesus, may come in. Who is? The king of glory, Yahweh, God of angel armies. What do you think I wrote in the margin? Jesus. He is the king of glory. Consider Jesus. Psalm 22, the cross of Jesus. Psalm 23, the good shepherd, Jesus. Psalm 24, the king of kings, Jesus. See, do you catch the picture how beautiful this is? This tapestry that God put together, Psalm 22, 23, 24, and 25. So you could see the cross of Jesus in 22, the good shepherd Jesus in 23, and that you could then see the king of kings Jesus in 24. And then when you get to Psalm 25, guess what it's all about? The Savior. Jesus saving you. Listen to Psalm 25. It is all about Jesus saving. Human beings, needy sinners. Jesus, great Savior. I love this psalm. I don't know how often you have read this one. It is so beautiful. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I have placed my trust in you. Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, nobody who ever waits for you will ever be disappointed or ashamed. But those who deal treacherously without cause, they will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, the narrow path, the way of life, the way of abundant life, the way of eternal life. Lead me in that truth. Teach me. Because you're the God of my salvation, I will wait on you all day long. Remember, O oh Lord, your compassion, your mercy, your kind love. They have been mine from of old. Don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't remember my transgressions. But instead, according to your cross love, your covenant love, remember me for your name's sake, your goodness sake, O oh Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs who? Sinners in his way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. All the pathways of the Lord are the covenant love of the cross. That's what that word means. Hesed and emeth. That word is used all over in Hebrew. Hesed and emeth. That means God's covenant love and God's covenant faithfulness. It's all about the cross. Every time you ever see that word in the Old Testament, it is the cross love of God and the faithfulness of God. It's Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. That word means covenant love, and emeth means covenant faithfulness. That means that you not only love somebody by covenant, but you're faithful to the love that you've promised. That's why the two always go together. That's exactly what John used, the exact same phrase to describe Jesus in John chapter 1, full of 
uh, what's the phrase in our English? And true, right. That is an Old Testament phrase. He's referring to Hesed and Emeth. When he says Jesus is full of grace and truth, he's referring to the Old Testament reference. Covenant love and faithfulness. What? Emeth is E-M-E-T-H is usually how it's pronounced. Emeth. And it means covenant faithfulness. That's why the two go together. They're always talking about the covenant love and then the God who is faithful to the promise. Amen? It's that he comes to the altar. That's why I always think of my salvation as being married to Jesus. And he stands at the altar with me and he swears his love to me. And so he not only swears he's going to love me, he makes a covenant. And so now he's what? Faithful to what he swore. Yeah, he's, he's going to do what he said. He's going to always love me. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches them the paths of the Lord are covenant love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, and pardon my sin, because it is what? Great. But you notice how he's not worried about that. I don't mean he doesn't take it seriously. He just knows he's forgiven. Who is the person who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul, a forgiven soul, will abide in prosperity and shalom, and his descendants will inherit the promised land. The secret of the Lord, what's that referring to? The new covenant. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. He will make them know his covenant. That's covenant love in the cross of Jesus. My eyes are continually toward the Lord. He'll pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me, Lord. Be gracious to me, Lord. I'm lonely. I'm afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and trouble. Forgive what? All my sins, Lord. Look upon my enemies. There are many. They hate me without reason. Violent hatred. Guard my what? Soul. Deliver my soul. Don't let me be ashamed because I take refuge in you. Let your integrity and your uprightness preserve me because I wait for you. Oh, God, redeem all of Israel from all of his sins and troubles. This is such a great salvation psalm. Psalm 22, just consider Jesus, the cross of Jesus. Psalm 23, consider Jesus, the good shepherd Jesus. Psalm 24, consider Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalm 25, consider Jesus, your great, great Savior. That's why I never get tired of talking about the perfect nine. When I think of Jesus, I always think of these nine because I think of them together. They really focus in three triplets. Perfect Jesus, my perfect creator who had a perfect birth and lived a perfect life. Jesus created everything out of nothing by the word of his power and holds it up. Praise your awesome name. He left heaven and entered a world of woe and pain and anguish and destitute and absolute agony because he loves sinners. He lived a perfect life for me so that what makes me right with God is the life he lived 2,000 years ago, not my life. I'm so excited about that. That's the righteousness of Christ. My record card in heaven has all straight A's because God grades me on the life Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, not the life I'm living now. So my report card is perfect. Now, does that make me say, well, I'm going to sin now? Because he did that for me? Quite the opposite. It says, now by grace, I'm going to walk in holiness. Because I believe this cross has the power to set me free to live in holiness. I won't accept anything less. He wasn't crucified just to pay my penalty. He was crucified to set me free. Amen? Amen. 
So Jesus had a perfect creator, had a perfect birth, lived for me a perfect life. Next three, perfect cross, perfect resurrection, perfect reign. <laughs> On that cross, he paid all the punishment for all my past, all my present, and all my future sins for all of time. And he took 100% of the punishment, so I'm always not guilty in God's sight. Not only has he set me free from the punishment, he set me free from the captivity. He has broken the chains so I can live a new life, an abundant life, a free life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, on that cross. He rose from the dead. The greatest proof moment in all of history, proving that he is the one true living God who made man and saved sinners in contrast to the many false dead gods who are man-made and cannot save. There's only one name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved, the name of Jesus, Acts chapter 4. Peter's sermon, there's only one Savior, one name, one hope. Hallelujah, he rose from the dead. He proved it. People ask me all the time, how do you know Christianity is true and all the others are false? Because every single philosopher and founder of every religion that's ever existed in all of history has decayed in the grave. But there's one person who couldn't decay and three days later got up. <laughs> He's risen, Joel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Proof that he is who he said. His cross, his resurrection, and his reign. He's not only risen, he went to the Father's right hand. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules everything, everywhere, every second, Pastor Joseph. Isn't that great news? He and I know that every day. Jesus Christ rules everything, everywhere, every second. Jesus rules your life. Jesus rules my life. There are no accidents. I'm not controlled by fate. I'm not controlled by anybody. My Jesus who died for me, my Jesus who rose for me, my Jesus who reigns for me controls every second of every day of my life with his love. That's the best news in the world. Perfect creator, perfect birth, perfect life. Perfect cross, perfect resurrection, perfect reign. Last three, perfect what? Gospel. Oh, what a gospel that Jesus can clean my heart, forgive my sins, break my chains, make me new, give me abundant life, give me eternal life, transform my life and work miracles of his life in me now and forever. What a gospel. It's true. It's the only gospel that can transform you and clean your sin, break your sin, change you, transform you, and make you new. It is true. Hallelujah. What a gospel. And perfect return. Maranatha, Jesus coming soon. I cannot tell you how much in the last three months I felt it with the intensity in my soul, the nearness of His coming. It burns in me. I feel the nearness of his coming. Maranatha, 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 Maranatha. Jesus is coming soon. I can feel it burning in my soul. Philip and I were talking about it today. I said, Philip, I don't know if I'll get to see it, but I think you will if I don't. And maybe I will. Maybe I'll get to see it. Yeah, things are changing. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Yes. Feel even these homeless people tell me all the time. I'll never forget some of the things Alvis used to tell me with all his drinking and and drugs and everything else. And I won't even repeat some of them now, but he had some visions of what he could see was coming. And he would look me right now like this, Joe, and he'd say, Brian, 
do you know this is going to happen? He kind of poked me like that. <laughs> you know, smelling all the alcohol in his breath. Yes, Alvis, I do know you're right. <laughs> Amazing who God reveal things to. It's amazing what he'll do. Maranatha's coming soon. And perfect forever. Oh, how I look forward to the perfect forever, the ninth one. I look so much forward to the day that I'll have a brand new body that will never, ever get sick. and It'll be perfect forever. I'll have a perfect soul that will never, ever, 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 ever sin again. I can't wait. Jesus crucified to make me sinless. And one day I'll stand before him face to face and I'll walk into sinlessness. <laughs> can't, can't wait till I walk into sinlessness. I'll never, ever, ever, ever sin again. And I do love the creation. I do stupid things at times I know. But I'll tell you what, enjoy my life. Uh, I love hiking in the mountains. And that's why I love it. I just hike in God's creation and I just get lost. I worship, I sing, I shout. People probably think I'm crazy. Hiking up this waterfall, leaping up stones, going up higher and looking at the waterfalls and just talking to Jesus and saying, our sin has so stained your creation. It's still this beautiful. What will a untouched new heavens and new earth look like? An untouched universe. I don't know how it's going to work. Maybe I'll be able to fly. I would not be surprised. Seriously, I think I'll just fly from planet to planet and, and, and galaxy to galaxy. And I think I'll have new senses, even better than taste, touch, and sight. And I'll have a perfect body, which will make any superhero look like nothing. And the new heavens and the new earth, I really believe with all my heart, I will see my animals again. I believe it. I believe Romans 8 says that God will set the creation free from the corruption and decay of sin. Well, the death of my animals is part of the corruption and the decay of sins. And Romans 8 promises God will set it free. I believe I'll see them again. I believe there will be animals in the new heavens and new earth. They'll display His glory. Why do you think God created animals? You know, God loves animals more than we do. Animals show His glory. You ever look at them? Philip and I recently, a bluebird that in our house laid a nest, and Philip and I watched because we could lift up the roof, and we watched the eggs, and we watched her sit on the eggs, and we watched the eggs hatch where there's no, not even a single feather on that baby. It's about that big. It looks like the ugliest thing you ever laid eyes on. And three weeks, it's covered with feathers and ready to fly. I mean, I just worship God. I go, Lord, look, the majesty of who made that, the creator. Oh, how awesome is your name. I can't wait for the new heavens and the new earth. Maybe dinosaurs, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be so awesome. I just look forward to it with great joy. You know, unbelievable. Isn't Jesus just awesome? Consider Jesus. Psalm 22, consider the cross of Jesus. Psalm 23, consider the good shepherd Jesus. Psalm 24, consider the king of kings Jesus. Psalm 25, consider the savior Jesus. Read, meditate, consider, meditate. So I will do three final applications because they're so important. The first one is absolutely obvious. How easy is the first application? Philip, consider Jesus and Kristen and Allison and Pastor Joseph and Angela and Sheldon and Sonia and Madeline and Joel and Brian. Learn how to consider Jesus every day in manifold ways. Do you do that? Have you learned how to do that? 
If you learn how every single day to intentionally focus your mind and your energies and make yourself consider Jesus and all the manifold greatnesses of who he is, what he does, and what he's going to do. Every day in manifold ways. I love these three definitions I gave you at the first because they are actually definitions of what the word consider means. Think how they apply to Jesus. Definition number one. Consider means to think carefully about something, typically before making a decision. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I like what Debbie Richards, who's a missionary we have supported for many years in Japan, says. She says, I love the way the people in Japan consider Jesus. She says she'll have somebody in her inquirer's class. They're trying to figure it out about the gospel. She says it's not uncommon for them to take six or seven years to consider Jesus. <laughs> That's a little different from American evangelism, isn't it? She says they'll spend six or seven years considering. And then after six or seven years, they'll say, yep, I'm going to be baptized and follow Jesus. I've considered. And she says the amazing thing over there is they don't turn back. You know what the word consider means? Consider carefully something before you make a decision. That's what consider Jesus means. Number two, <laughs> to think about something, and as you consider it, you're drawn toward it with a course of action. Doesn't that mean what it means to consider Jesus? When you consider Jesus, the Holy Spirit draws you toward him, and then you practice righteousness. It results in a course of action. Amen, Joel? Yeah. Number three, to regard someone in their specific qualities. I love to consider the qualities of Jesus and who he is and what he's like. Just like you were talking about the holiness today. So number one, consider Jesus. Number two, believe in your heart of hearts. I'll tell you, if there's one thing that's sure... Nobody, Madeline cannot believe for Sonia. You know, everything I've talked about in these four Psalms, considering the cross of Jesus, considering the good shepherd Jesus, considering the king of kings Jesus, considering the savior Jesus, and all that we read, there were about a hundred promises in there. And the only way that promise ever comes alive in your soul is when with supernatural faith, not simply intellectual and emotional, it's not enough just to think about it and just to have a feeling about it. It's transformational faith where something miraculous happens and those promises begin to live in you. I can't do it for Angela. I can't make her believe. You know, if she would, she would do that for her mom. You can't, can you? I mean, the one thing we've talked about over and over again, I have no idea why my mama, my mother used to be one of the most, you know, you could have a glass 70% full and she'd focus on the 30. She could also always focus on what wasn't there. You know, like the girl I tutored who made a 97 on the calculus test and the first question out of her mother's mouth was, what about the other three points? Oh, you know, the negative. But in the last two years of my life, and my mom's life, all of a sudden, everything changed with the Holy Spirit. She became full of the most spectacular gratitude and thankfulness. I never saw her complain about anything at any time in any way to anybody. And I wouldn't know because I was there hour after hour with her. And things that only a son and his mom know. We would die laughing. You know, don't you? It's hard taking care of an old sick person. And you know too, Madeline. And sometimes in situations, all you can do is just lay down and laugh. 
you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. <laughs> right? Amen? And my mom would just turn around and look at me and she'd just laugh. And I'd laugh. And we'd have fellowship together. And she was full of so much gratitude and joy and peace. I never heard a negative word about anybody at any time or anything in any way probably for the last two years of her life. Wow. That's what I call supernatural faith. Where the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, and all of a sudden it comes alive in you, not simply and naturally emotional, and the promises of God come alive in you and fill you up. So when I ask you to consider Jesus, please believe. Please, please believe Jesus. Believe the cross has the power to put to death everything in you that needs to die. You can plug in. Believe the resurrection can raise up to you life in Christ. Believe that every single promise in this book is true for you. When I read it, that's why I can't help but sing. I can't help it. I know Angela says I'm going over, but I just can't help it. Psalm 23, you know, every one of these I've been singing. That's why I memorize Psalm 23. Every one of these promises is for Brian. The Lord is Brian's shepherd. Brian will not want or lie. The Lord makes Brian lie down in green pastures and feeds him. The Lord leads Brian by still waters, pours it in me. The Lord refreshes my soul, renews my soul, restores my soul, makes my soul. The Lord leads me in paths of wisdom and guides me in righteousness <laughs> for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because he's always with me. The rod of Jesus and the staff of Jesus comforts me. Jesus gives me a table of blessing even in the presence of my enemies. Jesus anoints my head with oil of blessing. I know it. My cup of blessing, what? Overflows because Jesus is filling her up. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You see how important it is to make it your own? It's not enough to hear it. I can't believe you, Madeline. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want that power. I want you to believe. I want every one of us in this room to believe for themselves. Amen? Amen. And the third one, consider Jesus. Believe in your heart of hearts the gospel of Jesus. And number three, it's so important, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and they what? Follow me. Sometimes life does seem like a maze, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And sometimes I think here, I even talk to Jesus about these things. Here I am at point A, and I know you want to get me to point B. And it seems like a maze. <laughs> and I go, Lord, I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. But you know what? I just trust him. Jesus says, just follow me. If I turn left, you turn left. I turn right, you turn right. I go straight, you go straight. I stand still, you stand still. I'm learning to follow, to listen, to do what Jesus says. He says, don't do that, I don't do that. He says, speak that, I speak that. He says, do this, I do that. I believe he's my shepherd and I'm a sheep. It says, he hears my voice. Someone, one of these things said that. I know that I hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. And what do they do? Follow me. Sometimes I make mistakes. That's all right. Skin my knees. <laughs> Fall down, I have to get up and go, heal me, Jesus. I'm ready to follow. I don't care if you want me to climb high, I'll climb high. You want me to go low, I'll go low. You want me to stand still, I'll stand still. You want me to go to the nations, I'll go to the nations. You want me to go to Kenya, I will be there. You want me to go to India, I will be there. You want me to go to Belarus 14 times, 
I will be there. You want me to stay home? I will be there. You want me to stay living where I am right now? I will stay. You want me to move? I will move. I will what? Follow Jesus. Consider Jesus. Believe Jesus. Follow Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, please teach us how to consider Jesus. And nothing better in the world. Consider Jesus. I love that definition of consider. I won't repeat it. Teach us to consider Jesus. To believe, not simply intellectually and emotionally, but supernaturally. Holy Spirit faith. The gospel, the cross, the resurrection, the promises. To believe them in our soul. And to follow. Jesus says, I lead, you follow. I lead, you follow. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Teach us how to follow Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people say.